Thank you, Nick, Jill, and the worship team and choir, and just uh, thank you for participating in lifting the name of Jesus high. That's what this is all about, right? That's what it's all about. Hey, I want to take 10 here with you. Uh, Pastor Cody had made mention about some of the uh, pieces of paper that are in your update, and I'd like for you to uh, grab those out here, and uh, the first one is the red one, and the top says, Harvest Gives. Um, Let let me make mention of this in a couple ways. Number one, uh, part of what we are trying to do is actually build something that becomes an annual thing at the end of the year. We really started this last year. We had been through building campaigns and all that, and then uh, we wanted to begin something at the end of the year that was something uh, like an overflowing gratitude of who we are as a church family, and just to come together and give for some particular things, some things that may not be uh, budgetary things, some things that uh, may have special needs internationally in various ways. And, and that's what Harvest Gives is about at the end of the year, is ultimately about us as a church family, uh, just kind of over and above giving and saying, you know what, we just want to come together and we want to give in a way that accomplishes some things uh, for God's glory. And uh, we have on this, as you can see, a few things that we're seeking to participate with this year. Last year, we had three things, and uh, we raised about $27,000. This year, uh, we have three main things on here that actually is about, in total, about $45,000. And so we are, uh, by faith, kind of pushing the, the pedal a little bit. And uh, what we have here are three things. First, uh, we want to be able to, out of this, in an altogether way, as opposed to just a budgetary item way, altogether fund uh, the first part, year number one, of, of harvest uh, growing in the Caribbean, and it's called uh, Vision Caribbean. And us, and there are three other harvest churches in the U.S. that are kind of taking and saying, we want to be at a place where we are specifically planting a harvest church in the Caribbean. We're already involved with St. Vincent, and yet St. Vincent is kind of the base out of that. And so this is part number one of that. And what this involves is essentially... Harvest is going to be, in Pastor Alan St. Vincent is working on interviewing and putting together, and ultimately we're desiring to come up with someone who's going to pastor a Harvest Church in the Caribbean. Ideally, we're looking for someone from the Caribbean, and that is in process right now. And then the funding comes in 2016, is that we are then, as a church, Indy West, going to be taking that person, that couple, or that family, and sending them up to Chicago for the training center with Harvest for a period of time. They will then also be engaged with us so that we really get to know them well. And then in that, they are going to be, in 2016, 17 planting in the Caribbean, and that is actually going to be a, a much bigger financial endeavor, probably in the uh, 30 to 40 to possibly $50,000 arena to get that up and rolling, but this is part number one in that process, and so we thought it would, this would be a great time for us as a church family to go, you know what, let's kind of say it boldly, we want to make this happen and begin the process, so we're asking for uh, to raise $15,000 from that, and then we have digital signage, uh, two things related to our facility that we couldn't do when we built the building just because of financial reality, but are a part of the plan. One is digital signage in the lobby. Uh, I was just this week down at a Pacers game with six other Harvest pastors from Indiana, and and we're thinking of buying the Jumbotron down there. 
I'm just kidding. And uh, wouldn't that be cool? Put it outside or something. Um, but kind of three TVs out there. It has multiple use both now and into the future for us. And that's about a $10,000 endeavor. And then we really would like to begin the process of completing out front and kind of the outside the cafe area with a fire pit thing there going and some wall and a sitting wall and some uh, park chairs up along. That's why we have so much concrete actually out there is to be able to make this a sitting area and actually bring in nice days the lobby outside as part of it. Um, and so we're seeking to do that. And uh, those are three things on our radar that uh, could I ask that you would take this home and just put it on the table or something? Would you be praying about it? Um, it's going to take all of us in on it. And we would love to be able to see that happen. We've got a couple bright, pray big items down there. One has to do with eventually, as we had planned outside the pre-K class there in that one grass area, have that become kind of a fenced-in uh, playground. Uh, it's probably a $25,000 endeavor. If someone would want to just say, we'll make that happen, hey, come talk to us. Uh, and there's some other things, even with property. We're just praying, maybe God in some kind of way, that property out to Reagan there, uh, we could just, he would provide. And uh, it's more than I can handle, and it's more than you can handle, but um, our God's pretty big from what I understand in our series to Revelation, right? Um, so we're just going to be praying on that. So that's Harvest Gives, okay? Got it? Uh, it's an exciting opportunity for us all together. The next document I want for you to pull out is, is this one. On the front of it, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, my beloved sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We are going through a series through the book of Revelation and looking at what's happening in the end war and in the end place, and yet uh, all of that is driving, fueling how we live now, and that includes as a church, and, and we want to not be the kind of church that is just lethargic, like, hey, we got a nice building, and cool, I'm all happy, and, and let's kick back. That's not what it's about. We are uh, moving uh, so that the kingdom for what's coming would be greater for the Lord's glory, and so this doctrine contains a couple things. On the inside, you can see there's a lot of small font uh, type going on here. And what we've done is, uh, is basically as pastoral staff and as elders, uh, all of these, all of us on this page are involved in, uh, would be classified as elders, if you will. We're eldering in different ways. As pastors, we're eldering in unique areas of what's going on. Our elders are kind of leading elders and where we are going and have a first responsibility, neck on the chopping block first, if you will. And what we've done is we've put together initiatives for this coming year, 10 for each of us. And I really want to encourage you to read through this. I am not going to do that right now, um, and that's a good thing for all of us, but please read through this for a couple reasons. Number one, I think it'll get you more familiar with what's going on in the heads and the minds as us as pastors and elders. Also, it'll allow you just to kind of see what's on our hearts and where we're looking to go and to grow in. And uh, I think it'll just be a tremendous informing tool as well just to get to know uh, the inside kind of behind the ministry curtain, if you will, a little bit. So we want to put those out for you to be able to see what's happening, okay? Now read through those. And on the back page, I want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, some dollars. And I'm not, very, I'm not uncomfortable talking about money in a church setting at all because it matters. And what you have on the back here is we've put together our budget for this coming year. And as we've done the last few years, you can see how 
our uh, account structure is set up. We give the last couple years of what that is. Um, and even 2015, where it shows our general fund income, we were seeking to bring in a million fifty thousand by God's grace. We're actually probably going to be a little over a million one hundred thousand by the end of the year. And I can't tell you what how that has so helped us as an infrastructure, as a church, just in a building. And uh, praise God for that. You can see our budget for 2016 there. The percentages are there for all you numbers people. Uh, Sometimes the numbers uh, mean less than the percentage actually. And you can see movement from year to year. Many of them are staying the same. Some are going up. Some are reducing down as the ministry grows in size. I do want to make mention of a couple key numbers, whether it's here at this church or any church you are at. And I'm going to use uh, kind of my past business terminology here just for a second, so take this with grace. When I talk about the industry of ministry, local church, okay, in that terminology, there's a couple financial numbers that are always key when a financial person is evaluating that industry, if you will, and on a budget, and, and they are these. Number one, when you look at personnel, in any church, that should range from 45 to 55%. That's the quote industry standard. Now, in a harvest church, that's generally 50 to 55%. And the reason for that is because when you're growing and advancing, you generally have to put into that. If you're on a plateau stage, you're generally in the 45 to 50%. So that's a general number, 50, 55% at a harvest church. When you add the next number to it, right below it, facilities. When you add those two percentages together, again, in the kind of industry talk of it all, in a local church, it should be anywhere from 70 to 80% of the budget is comprised of personnel and facilities. And then the remainder is all the other ministry things going on. And uh, again, with being in a brand new facility, that's generally 75 to 80% Uh, those two combined together make up your budget. And so that just gives you, those couple numbers tell you where a church is at in many, many ways. And you can see that, you can take that. And uh, with that, I want to say, would you continue to pray for us as a church, um, growing uh, organizations, growing churches sometimes is, is one of the hardest things to manage. Uh, and, uh, and to move forward with. And we want to ask for your prayers. Would you just pray for us? It would be a wise church. And also with that, I want to thank you for being a church that gives, that has allowed for this to be able to happen. And we take that very seriously and with great responsibility. And with great blessing comes great responsibility. And so uh, this is out on the table for you, uh, for you to be taking a look at. And I hope that helps you uh, get familiar with what's going on the inside. And I forgot one slide uh, with that that you can even see here on our finances. Uh, Ever since the history of the church, when we were in 2008 over in the theater, and just what the Lord has done uh, with our finances and uh, praise the Lord. Okay, I hope you're not weirded out talking about that stuff because that's part of the reality of what goes on in a local church. And if you're new, well, you just got a little bit behind the curtain on what's going on here. Okay, all right. Harvest. I want to kind of transition here and say this: It's 12 days until Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and there's probably a little mixedness in all of that. We've got some that are like, woo, you know, excited about that. And then we've got others like, oh, 
12 days at Christmas. I'm in total panic uh, with that. So he, after kind of going through the information we just went through and the fact of 12 days until Christmas, we're going to dive into the word here in just a little bit. And um, can we just take a breath? Maybe I need to take a breath. And um, this place matters. And what we're doing right now, it matters. And um, the Lord is good. Not only does this place and even this time gathering together matter, but other places matter and tell how good the Lord is. One of those places this time of the year, and that's the place of Bethlehem, where Jesus Christ was born. It's interesting, and I say that place is so important because that was just not any place where Jesus was born. There was a particular place. Luke chapter 2, it says that it was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Jesus just wasn't born like uh, over in Rome or anywhere around. He was born in a particular place. And, And that place is so really important because the place of Bethlehem, the city of David... It tells about the history of redemption prior to that. God had promised that one was coming who's going to be born in this place. Not only is that place important, but other places are important. Gethsemane is important. Oh, Father, is there any other way to do this? That's an important place, tells a story. Oh, by the way, the cross is an important place. And so is the empty tomb. All of those places tell a redemption story. And friends, I want to challenge you, encourage you, call you and I to be people at this Christmas time that we understand in grander depth the Bethlehem city of David place. Because as we understand what take, took place there, not just the birth, not just, but, but the grandness of it all, as we understand that place more, we will understand what our now place is about more. And as we seek to understand the cross place and and the empty tomb place, as we understand that and its increasing reality of just our growth and understanding, as that becomes more real, then our living in our now place and this time and age will make more sense and have more purpose to it. And I would suggest that as we've been studying through the book of Revelation and doing that, and and, I mean, my goodness, all this in the last nine months, And uh, I would say in the center section here where the war that's been going on, where the lion lamb, where the lion is roaring in judgment and in the coming days ahead, I understand it to be about that when we understand the future war that's going to be taking place, it helps us in understanding the reality of the war that we live in now. And on top of that, as we are in chapters 21 and 22, as we understand the end place, the new eternal place, when we grasp what the Lord has in an increasing way, it fuels us for now. Isn't it amazing how when there's like, uh, let me put it this way, when there's a carrot out in front of you, when there's some kind of hope that the, that the hurt and the anguish and the confusion and the weight of life now is going to become like something like we're told about, doesn't that future hope drive your now hope? Oh, it does. Because I got to tell you more than ever, I'm ready to get on with it. 
I'm ready to get on. I'm sorry, I love you guys, but like, I'm just, I'm so much more ready. Like, just now would be good, okay? I'm just more and more ready. Um, and we're talking about that end place. An end place that fuels our now place. Well, a few Sundays ago, you can look. If you don't have your Bibles open, turn to Revelation 21, 22. Revelation 21, we, a few Sundays ago, we were... Uh, in verses 1 through 8, verses 1 and 2, we're told, you can look at it, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and it tells about a new city that's uh, in the eternal reality of the eternal state. And then verses 3 through 8 tell really the pinnacle reality that today our verses kind of close with. We have these almost bookmarks of the pinnacle reality of what the eternal state is really all about. And it's a new eternal place that's with God. I mean, with the Godhead. And we're going to see a little bit more of that. That's what it's all about. And frankly, really what it should be is, is the Lord could have said, or, or not should have, but could have, is the Lord could have just said, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city, a new holy of holies. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be with you. And he doesn't have to say anything more. But what's so cool about God is he tells us more. He's like, listen, I know you're so physical-oriented people, and that's how you are, and that's why I've created you at this point in time, and yet, let me tell you about my place. Hey, you want to hear about my house? <laughs> let me tell you about my house, because you're going to be in my house, and we saw that there, because it's his house. Then last Sunday, we were the rest of Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. It describes the city. It tells John's carried away to a great high mountain. He's shown the future new eternal state place. It's the with God city. And he describes it all. And maybe last Sunday, for some of you, you maybe you aren't quite as architectural or numeric or space uh, enthralled in things. But I just want to say, in it all, he tells us about it. He tells us about its walls and its gates and its foundations and its street or streets and, and the temple. And he even notes the temple, one of the freaky cool things about the future eternal places. There is no physical temple. Why? He comes back to the pinnacle piece because God is with. Why? You don't need a building. God is there in all of his glory. It's super cool. And today, we're at Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Yeah, friends, 1 through 5, that's it. Um, and that's, you know, I've kind of got these other things associated with it, plus communion, trust me, I'll use the time. <laughs> Um, but we're just in five verses here today, and I would call this, this is the icing on the cake, okay? It's kind of like, we're going to read all of Revelation 21 and bring us to chapter 22, and it's like John is on the outside to see the hole, and then it's like he comes in, and the angel's measuring all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, it's like we're on the inside of it all today. So if you're more like the decorator type, this is your day, okay, for what it, things look like. Uh, in some fashion. Let me note a few things. Um, the place that we are going into, this new eternal place, is, is crazy cool. There's nothing on earth like it. Hey, friends, all that this earth has to offer, you and I need to understand. Trust me, I do too. We need to understand all the things that this earth offers. This is nothing compared to what God is going to provide. This is nothing. 
And that's why it's we, we cling and we yearn for what's ahead. I also want to note here in the conversation from last Sunday and talking about what I think it's talking about is something literal in, in its shape and function and, and so forth in this new eternal place. Someone could have walked away last week going, this is like ridiculous. I mean, this is kind of like freaky talk here about this 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, this cube and all this kind of stuff going on. And, and I don't understand that. Let me respond to that here with... Uh, some pictures in, in a statement, and uh, uh, let me bring the pictures up here, okay? Um, now, I do realize Star Wars and Star Trek are on the same. Uh, those of you who fuss about that, uh, get over it. Um, <laughs> don't, don't beat me, but uh, let me just say this, and I'm not trying to make God's Word sci-fi, but as I've been pondering this, here's what I think is one of the different things about today versus if you were in first century, second century A.D., I think back in that time, you would read some of this and you would go, uh, this is just kind of crazy. But now I go, is it really? And I'm not saying, and I do understand, these are sci-fi, but is it not true that within you and I nowadays, we look at these things and we kind of in our head, we go, could be, could happen, right? Am I that true? It's true. And I just say, take the Death Star and turn it into a cube. Okay? And get rid of all that's evil. Boom! Revelation 21. Okay? So I have a little fun with it, but I'm also serious about it. What we are talking is not that freaky in our modern day minds, okay? Now, before we read the text, one more thing I wanna do because this is probably the last time I'm gonna do it. Oh, it breaks my heart. Last time I'm probably gonna do it and is this. I'm going to remind us of our five pictures that have been key to going through this series. And by the way, the reason I'm doing it today is I'm doing it because probably the last time but I also want to emphasize with you that going through this series through the book of Revelation for me has not only been about the content, but it's also been honestly trying to teach you and me how to study our Bibles more effectively together, okay? So I want to review these here. And the first picture is up on the scene, uh, on the screens. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ revealed. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. He is the source and the subject. And that's what it's been all about. And we could get through and you could talk about timelines and you could talk about shapes of you know, this and that. But I'm telling you, if we get through and Jesus Christ is not bigger in our mind of understanding of the Godhead, then we've missed the whole book. Okay, Jesus Christ is the pinnacle piece of this whole book because he is the one who is bringing redemption about. He is the one who is finishing the war out. And he is the one who is bringing us into this place that he is sitting with the Father on the throne. Second picture, a bus tour. I like VW vans just because they're really cool. But uh, I've been using this as we're going on a bus trip together. And that kind of mindset as a church. And we're just together in this. This is a first timers through a, a book like Revelation. And, and we're going sight by sight. I haven't been bringing what's ahead back and all that. Kind of like the first initial readers of the book. And uh, we've been laying out the pieces. Assembly has been the secondary interest. Just understanding the pieces laid out has been the primary a third, uh, you see a picture here of an airplane kit laid out and just the fuselage components 
understand we are doing a study of the book of Revelation. We are not doing a systematic theology study of eschatology as the whole. The Bible talks about, in other places of the Bible, what's going to happen in the end times, but I've purposely constrained ourselves to the book of Revelation so that we can grow in our study techniques, but we can also just go, what does the book have to say with that, okay? Now, we've been laying out the pieces. Assembly has been secondary. Fourth picture, kind of along with that, what I've asked us to do is in entering this, every one of us probably have some preferred theological preferences that we bring into a book like Revelation. I'm pre-trib, I'm post-trib, I'm uh, a-mill, I'm pre-mill, I'm this, I'm a no-mill, you know, whatever it is. And we bring it, and I've laid out the challenge of, listen, let's go into the book, let's be willing to take off some of those preferred theological preferences that we might have, and let's let the book shape our theology rather than our preferred theology shape the book. And I will tell you, I've just seen the opposite happen in commentaries again and again, like this is my view and now I want to prove it. And I'm like, just let the book speak. Let's just let the book speak. And so we've been trying to do that. Last picture, Picasso's Guernica, just reminds us in this that uh, imagery is not an open invitation for interpretation. Just because there's some crazy imagery in the book of Revelation, it doesn't mean I can make it mean whatever I want and I can make the numbers add up to whatever I want. Uh, Listen, Picasso, when he painted this picture, he knew what every image was about because he was painting about something in particular related to war. He knew every image and what they meant. And I want to tell you, God understands what's going on here. And so as we're going through and trying to understand, it's not open for interpretation, if you will. It's we want to try and understand what the original painter, what the original author intended to be said. That's what we've been doing. Well, those are five pictures here. I'm going to kind of leave it there. And I trust that this whole series, next Sunday, we essentially end it. Um, Let's read Revelation 21, okay? Then, then what? Well, there's context. Uh, We've gone through the whole war. God's judgment's being poured out. We're now, I think, chapter 20, the thousand years. I do see it as a a thousand-year future millennial reigning time. And then Satan is defeated, the judgment of the great white throne. When we enter the then of chapter 21, Satan has been dealt with, the sea beast has been dealt with, the land beast has been dealt with. We've had death and Hades dealt with, and we've had the unredeemed dealt with. The only people remaining on the table, if you will, of the question is, so what happens with God's redeemed people whose names are written in the book of life? Those are the ones that are left. And we enter this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I don't think this is the father or son. I I think this is someone from their region, if you will, area of the throne. I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the uh, dwelling place of God, the tabernacle place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, in case we didn't get it. We're talking about God dwelling among mankind. 
And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, among them, as their God. And look at this, and I love this verse 4. Who's going to wipe away every tear? He will wipe away. How sweet of a picture is that? Not only will there be no more tears, but understand, he's the one who's wiping them away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Oh, bring it on. For the former things, things that have that, have now passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Hey, friends, what we're reading isn't like made up gobbledygook. This is from the throne. It's trustworthy and it's true. And if that's not true, then it's time to go home. But it is. It's trustworthy and true. Verse six, and he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death and has already taken place. Verse nine. Then, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, the one coming down out of heaven from God, the one he had referred to in verses one and two, having the glory of God and it's radiant. It was like a, a, a most rare jewel, like Jasper, clear as crystal. And, and it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the 12 gates, 12 angels, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. They were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them, on the foundations, were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates. It's kind of like, let's come on in now and measure this thing up. Verse 16, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. We talked about that last Sunday. That, that it works out to anywhere from, depending on the measurement, anywhere from 1,380 miles to 1,500 miles. Its length, its width, and the height are equal. So let's say 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, 72 yards by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement, which just means it was measured in a way that we could understand. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city pure gold like clear glass. That's a new gold. Verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. 
The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jelia, the twelfth amethyst, <laughs> and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God, I just pray as we take just a few minutes in these coming minutes to go into these next five verses, I just, this icing on the cake, God, I would just pray, would you just blow us away? The reality is that we just struggle to understand how big you are. We struggle to think outside of our small capacity capability. And you are telling us of things that are so grand and so far beyond even what we can comprehend. Sometimes I just, I just wonder, how can I understand it? And yet in the reality, you, you want us to understand it so that we could understand you. So literally in these next few minutes, God, would you just expand us? In the Lamb's name we pray, amen. Let's go to verse one. Then the angel showed me, by the way, not told me, not handed me a note with it written on a a post-it note. And by the way, he didn't give me a set of CAD blueprints. Okay, he showed me, and this is really important, and he's he's seeing this, and so we started way up on this high mountain, then he kind of come in in the measuring of it, and and then the angel showed me, showed me what? The angel showed me uh, the river, Uh, by the way, in the Greek, there is no definite article there, but it's a river, Uh, the reason it's noted as a definite article, the, is because it's not any river, it's a particular river, it's noted as a particular river, look at it, and he showed me the, uh, the, the river of the water of life. It's a particular river. By the way, Revelation 21 verse 1, it says that in the new city, in the new earth, there will be no sea. But apparently there's going to be a river. I love rivers. In fact, by the way, I literally had gone on iTunes and was going to download Sound of a River and just have it playing for a while while it's going here because rivers are super cool, aren't they? They really are. (laughs) I'm feeling very vulnerable here. (laughs) Is it actual water? Or is this all symbolic? 
Um, I struggle with it just being symbolic. I think it's something, but I don't know, maybe it's not water. Maybe it's like something like the glory of God. I don't know, we'll just let him take care of that. But I will make reference to this in Revelation 17 and verse 4, or I'm sorry, Revelation 7 verse 14, the lambs is said to guide the great multitude, uh, those coming out of the great tribulation to springs of living water. Revelation 7, 17 talks about the 24 presbyteros, the ones who are around the throne in chapters uh, 4 and 5, uh, a promise the water of life. In chapter 21, verse 8, uh, or verse 6, we saw, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life. Uh, is that thirst or is that soul thirst? Isaiah 12, 3 says, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. John 4, Jesus with the woman at the well tells her that the water that he will bring will bring spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7, 38, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, is it actual symbolic? I don't know. I'm, I'm inclined to think it's actually both. It represents something. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. By the way, it's bright as crystal. No pollution. No need for governmental dollars or, or people to have to hold up signs. It'll be bright as crystal. Where is it coming from? Look, it's flowing from the throne. But not any throne. It tells us what throne. We'll see a little bit more in the throne here in just a second. But the river is flowing from the throne of the God and, uh, and the Lamb. It's like they're the source of this. And it's true. They are the source of salvation. They are the source of the only kind of water that can satisfy the soul that has been put within man to yearn for relationship with God. Notice verse 2. It says, uh, through the middle of the street of the city. Well, how can you walk in the street if there's water in it? And Well, there's, by the way, the grammar in this is a bit funky here. Um, I'll say in the New American Standard, it puts a period right after this. But in the Greek, there's not a period right after this. Uh, there's not one at the end of verse 1. And kind of part of the grammatical question is, is, is that referring to what's being said before or after? Okay, I just want to say this. Uh, it's not that important today for this discussion. It's just there's a river that's flowing from the throne and it's in this whole beauty including in the street of the city of it. Is it like down the middle in the streets or on the side, whatever? It's just gorgeous. By the way, remember the streets, chapter 21, verse 21, at the end of that verse it says they're pure gold like transparent glass. Through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, now we find a tree, the tree. And it's a particular tree. See it? It's the tree of life. Now, grammatically, it could be that the street and the river run alongside one another and there are actually trees between them. Uh, another way to actually understand it uh, is a single tree is in the middle and then the street is, and the river flanks it in directions and all that. But again, I just want to say we're not here to lay out the CAD drawings. That's not my objective today. Instead, it's my objective to be able to go, folks... If you are in Christ, the eternal home that the Lord has, um, it makes all of the now worth it. And if you are not in Christ, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, 
uh, my intent here from the text is, oh, you want to be. Because get a load of this place. It's a tree. I, I actually think this is probably trees, but why does it say one? Listen, God can do whatever he wants. Maybe the roots multiply. I don't know here. But by the way, I want to remind us, Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 9, it says the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And Genesis 3, 24, God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden. Why? To guard the way to the tree of life. The tree of life back in the Garden of Eden had a purpose. I don't know exactly what that was or how that all functioned in it, but here's the point. In the future eternity of it, that is represented there. Oh, and by the way, in it, we're also see in Genesis 2 verse 10 that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Could it be, and I think it likely is, that what's going on is the, the, the future eternal place has a remembrance of the beginning place. This is like the Garden of Eden combined with the Holy of Holies. And all of this is being brought there and magnified and made even more beautiful and more fantastic. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. What tree does that? Hey, God can make any kind of tree he wants and he can make it do anything that he wants. But I'm telling you, this is like funkified, super cool. Here's trees in, in, that, that produce fruit, 12 kinds of fruit. By the way, it even gives us the details here. This is why I don't think this is just imagery. Yielding its fruit each month. So like this month it's apples, the next month it's peaches. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is a reminder. The entire structure of how our world of death and seasons is altered. It's always in season. And there is no death, and there is no curse. And by the way, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the ethnos, for the nations. I just don't have time to talk about that today, but uh, I just want to say this. Some use the end of 21 and here in 22 to make reference that, see, there, there's these things that are pointing out to, to universalism, that, that, that those that somehow are going to be able to repent later after death and, and, and come back. I just want to tell you, friends, straight up, honestly, I wish it was true. Because I just want to tell you, after going through Revelation and reading just a little bit that we did about the lake of fire and eternal hell, I don't want anyone there. However, that might happen. And I would love for that to be the case for like some partial or total universalism going on where all are saved. But I'm just telling you, that is not what the text is talking about. I don't have time to go into all the details of it. But that is bringing a preference into the text and fitting the text around what I want it to say. And you can't do that. Because this is God's word. And oh, by the way, next week at the very end of the book, God has something to say about when we do that. And he's not happy about it. And so here in this, this isn't pushing towards that, and it's not saying that in this 12 kinds of fruit that we have like a Harry and David fruit of the month club going on in heaven. Uh, I don't know all the details to it, but I just know this is really awesome. Really awesome. There's no healing that needs to take place. All sin, we're going to see here in just a second. Look at the fact, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. Some things I just had to leave out today in our time, and I'm sorry for that, but I have to leave it there. Here's my point. This icing on the cake is just a reminder 
that the eternal place that those whose names are written in the book of life where we will spend eternity with, with God is not only going to functionally be the pinnacle thing of with God, it is also going to be physically fantastic. And in fact, I just want to take a minute here and try and get your mind to think here on some pictures on what it looks like in our world today. Because the one who created our world today, even in a sin-cursed world, let's go to our first picture. When I read a text about how tree of life, river of the water of life, I just, these are the kinds of things that even now I think God wants to spur in our minds. The reality of just, is that not gorgeous? Let's go to the next one. I don't know about you, but I I just, I want to go there right now. Like, let's just all go. Let's go to the next one. You know, and then sometimes we kind of get these little ideas that like, "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to like heaven. I mean, what are we going to do? Well, friends. Next. Is that now like tree of life and river and... Just expand your mind. And this is all in a sin-cursed world. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne. The river, the tree, and now the throne. But the throne of God God and of the Lamb. This is co-reigning. And by the way, if you're like, oh, the poor Holy Spirit, boy, he's got to be hurt. Listen. <laughs> they got, they're cool. Okay? They've been living together since eternity past. They're living together eternity future. They got it all worked out. Don't worry about him. And by the way, it just reminds us how we cannot even grab a hold of the idea of what eternity in a perfect place with perfect people could be like. You know, last Sunday when I was kind of doing all the layers in the cubic space, kind of trying to help us both comprehend the size of what things are talked about, but also space. You know how that is where it's like, oh, I just got to have some of my own space. No, no, no. You see, in eternity, when there is no more sin, there is no more death, there's no more like, I can only put up with you for a little while until I kind of get tired of you or irritated or you by me. None of that. We don't even know what relationship looks like with no sin. It's going to look awesome and it's going to be awesome. This is for real and this is no sci fi movie. Just imagine. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. 
not outside of it, not looking in on it, but in it, and his servants will worship him. Oh, by the way, that's not just a worship service. I've said before, oh, if it's like a 24-7 worship service like what we do, please, could we do something different? I love this. But listen, when God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden on a perfect planet with, with no sin going on and he told them to work the earth, their work was glory. Heaven is not gonna be boring. It's gonna be an awesome place and we are gonna be serving him together, no sin, and they, verse four, will see his face. Friends, hear me of anything else. This is the pinnacle point. I don't care if it's a pyramid, if it's square, if it's a cube, if it's on the earth, off the earth. Listen, I do care because God talks about some of these things to, I think, to expand our mind and to get a glimpse of his glory. But in it, the pinnacle thing is we get to see his face. No one has been able to ever see God's face because if we do, we die. And it won't just be like a peak. It'll be in his glory all the time. And I would love to live there. But seeing his face tops anything else. Oh. And I ask it this way. If that's the reality in eternity... That should be a growing reality in today. To yearn to see his face. To yearn to know him more. To grab him more because he has told us about himself. And we get so caught up in the functional and the physical. Oh, and I do too. And yet the glory of it all is see the Lord. And we need to be doing that now, not just then. And we finish. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I'm gonna have a tat on my forehead. Just want for you to know. Bring it on, man. <laughs> Verse five. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or light of lamp or sun. By the way, it doesn't necessarily say that there will be no sun. It just says none is needed. Hmm, I don't know what that... For the Lord God will be their light and they will sit on clouds and eat bonbons. No. They will reign. A kingly priesthood of activity. Forever and ever. Well, I hope the text just is uh, wetting your appetite for the end place. And I hope it's fueling us in the now place. Listen, friends, if you're going through hard times, life, and through various things, hey, this will end, that is coming. This is the dot on the line of eternity. And what we are just reading about is the eternal line of eternity. We are residing in the dot of it now. Hang in there. Pursue ahead. Pursue after him. Know him.
And with that, we're going to take communion together.